The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, uh, welcome back to our intro to meditation, mindfulness meditation. Some of you might be here new, and so I'll say some introductory words in a little while, but some people are still coming, so uh, a nice way of beginning these evenings is to hear if you have any questions or comments about your meditation practice. Some of you might have done the meditation at home, and do you have any uh, questions based on that experience or any comments, reports about it? That, that way I have some sense of how it's going, and maybe I'll tailor my, what, I, what I say in response. Yes, and if you could use the mic. The microphone right behind you. Uh, right behind you over there, there's one. Oh, here we go, yeah. But, but in the middle there's a button on the side. There we go. Yes? Okay. Um, I had the best night's sleep I've had in as long as I can possibly remember. Yeah. I'm a new mother, so I don't remember this. <laughs> but it was, it was like amazing. And then it slowly wore off during the week. I did three of the 20-minute meditations mm-hmm. and um, felt benefits. It, it did linger longer than I thought, but not like the time here. And I think part of it was there was so much calming time before the meditation uh-huh. um, that attributed it to it being, I don't know, deeper... When you were here More last relaxing. week. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great. The, the setup and just being yeah. in this room and not looking at my phone and, and all that. Yeah. Great. I'm happy for you. So it, it gives you a taste of what's possible. What's important is not, don't, don't set up that as, um, as an expectation that you get disappointed by, but rather take it as uh, you were quite fortunate and that you know of a possibility. And then it's, it's probably easier if you just kind of have that as a, as a guiding star for something that you can work towards over time. And what you want to do is slowly build the capacity to go calm and settled. And you probably get the same benefits over time. But uh, don't expect it to be like just overnight. Especially when you're practicing on your own. The, um, um, and some of the benefits that come from meditation, uh, or a lot of them, come very gradually, sometimes imperceptibly, from day to day. But then, uh, but we have a tendency to want to kind of measure things by what's visible like you know am, am I you know have I reached calm yet you know <laughs> I have a lot of things to do so I have ten, you know five minutes to get calm <laughs> and um, but there's you know over time slowly over uh, days and weeks and months and even years there's a slow slow change and one way to kind of uh, notice the change is to meditate on a regular basis for maybe six months and then stop for a week and then see how the impact is. And then you see, oh, what a big difference it is in my daily life. Great. So thank you. Yes? I have a question. Is that on? Um, my temperature, my body temperature fluctuates. So when I was meditating at home, I would either suffer uh, through the highs and lows or take my sweatshirt off and put it on and take it off and put it on. And I chose the latter. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for which way to go on that. Well, uh, both, both have their uh, opportunities. Both, both can be beneficial. And you have to decide which is the best opportunity for you at any given time. Um, and so it's not like a right way or wrong way. So it might be that by just making yourself comfortable and taking things on and off helps you to get settled in a nice way and helps you develop your mindfulness. 
And that's the best, you know, that's how you have to work with what you have. Uh, sometimes you benefit the most by uh, suffering mindfully. And, uh, and so you have to decide if that's the case. What I mean by that is sometimes, you see, mindfulness is a lot about noticing and being really, really st- uh, being, becoming clear what's going on in you. And uh, if you only think it's about becoming calm, then uh, we miss some of the deepening mature, maturation that can happen by really facing what's going on with our life, really being present for it. And so when they're suffering, to learn how not to escape it or work around it, not to do a spiritual bypass, uh, but to really learn how to meet it and be present for it without being troubled by it, to be relaxed about our suffering. And then with that relaxation, that kind of ease, a kind of ease with being, being present, we learn a lot about ourselves. We learn how we don't like it. We learn how we caught up in react preferences and reactivity. We learn about the story-making mind, how we make stories about this means that I'll always be burning or whatever, you know, stories. We see all this extra stuff we add and we learn how to make it simpler and simpler. And if you're going to suffer, it's really good to suffer simply. <laughs> it's a lot better than it is to suffer with all the complexity and the reactivity that goes on. And then when you suffer simply, that gives you the opportunity to really see what's really going on in the suffering in a way you can't when it's all complicated and confused. And to have real simple simplicity, to, to pare it down to simplicity, then to see it and see, oh, it's, it's all rooted, it's all arising out of this really core belief that I had. I had no idea I had this core belief I carried with me everywhere. And then you can do something about it, maybe. But it really... So, so the time might come where you feel like the best use of your time is to sit there and suffer. And it's a great laboratory. And it's your choice. But don't, don't uh, suffer just because of you think it's like a good duty, you know, like, you know, <laughs> suffer and, you know, you, know, you know. Only suffer if you really have a clear sense that this is, this is a worthwhile thing to study, to be present for, to explore yourself, to understand yourself better with. And, and, uh, and then see if you can come to the other side. That makes sense? That makes sense to everyone? Or everybody's ready to go home now? <laughs> Suffer better? I, I knew these Buddhists were party poopers. <laughs> yes? Um, okay. um, I just had a question um, about the uh, recommendation you had about being doing an activity mindfully. Yes. Um, I had a little bit of a harder time uh, figuring out what to focus on when the mind becomes re- restless mm. and wander during the activity versus being able to focus on the breath. Yes. Um, so I was, for example, doing it in a, in a drive, but then don't quite know where to bring uh, it back when the I mind see. Wanders. Good, good. Yeah, yeah so, uh, so uh, to be mindful in the present moment in activity, you don't have to focus on your breath anymore. That's for meditation. Uh, there's times where that's useful to do, but... Um, but generally, uh, you want to focus on the activity that you're doing in the present moment. So when you're driving, you want to really focus on the activity of driving, which means you should be looking wherever you mirror and forward and you know, just be, be aware of the traffic. And just in the present moment, in this global way that we are when driving, as opposed to, you know, you know, I remember once, I think twice it happens, I was driving down 280 to get off at um, Page Mill. I didn't notice until I came to El Monte. Because <laughs> I was, you know, lost in my thoughts, right? I was kind of driving responsibly, but not enough to know it was my, I missed my exit. 
So, so, um, so driving. Or if you're washing dishes, uh, then it's the activity of washing dishes. Just really be there for that, the simplicity. Does that make sense? All the way in the back. So, am I uh, am I on? Yes. Okay. So it seems to me, having sat through uh, some of these courses multiple times with Andrea and with and with you, that um, many of the practices that the Buddha teaches for meditation are well suited uh, for cases where a person enters into meditation with only, at most, I say, a modicum of restlessness. Yes. Um, are there teachings for? Those cases, and what, what, are, what might they be for entry points with a high degree of restlessness, uh-huh. both in the mind and the body? Great. That's a great question. And uh, that's a common phenomenon in our society. People are restless, they're anxious, and there's a lot of energy, and it's hard to settle down. And I think sometimes all these devices, we spend our time looking at screens, it, uh, it activates uh, many people's brains in a certain way that keeps it spinning. Um, and, uh, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, some of us, if we came back to 1960s minds, would, brains would feel like we were enlightened. You know, wow, this is cool. <laughs> what? You didn't know you were enlightened back then, huh? <laughs> the contrast is so different. So, so, the, so the, you know, we have a society that's kind of restless. So there's a few different things, and because you invoked the Buddha and all that, uh, there's a Buddhist answer and there's a mindfulness answer. The Buddhist answer is broader, which means maybe you need to look, a person needs to, should look at their life as a whole. And is their life balanced? Are the values they're living by appropriate values? Are they, um, um, you know, so are they, are they, are they, are they ba- bringing into balance all the things a person needs to have? Uh, what's their relationship to other people in the society and community around them? Uh, do they practice, uh, do they have good uh, attitudes, healthy attitudes, friendly attitudes to the world around them? So this kind of looking at the wider picture would be a Buddhist thing to do because you get that. In with the mindfulness approach would be, we don't say much about the rest of the life, but we, we say learn how to bring attention to the experience you're having. And with that, there's two things to be done. One is to specifically do calming exercises. And there are exercises that can help people to calm down that are quite good. Um, but really, in mindfulness itself, we wanted, what we want to do is uh, just be really present for what is. And if what is, is restlessness, is agitation, is to uh, turn, t- rather, than, rather than trying to calm ourselves or to avoid it, really turn towards it and be really fully present for it. And like in terms of, I've, I've done that, I've had a great time being restless in meditation where uh, I would close my eyes and I would imagine there was ping pong ball inside my body just bouncing around, you know. And when I saw, once I kind of felt it as a, this ball bouncing around, I was curious, where was it going to hit, where was it going to go next, how was it, how was it jitters going to be, where are the body, where the jitters, what was going to... Um, uh, uh, then I wasn't caught by the restlessness, I was just more interested. And then in that interest... Uh, uh, things began to settle down. So to actually turn towards it and be able to learn to hold it in attention is p- part of the art of mindfulness. Now, do these things, uh, you think, feel like they respond to your good question or do you want to ask more? Or? No, that, those are good 
Okay. So one more, and then we'll just over there. And then. Okay. You don't, uh, yeah, if you could go up on the stage there with the man that's standing. And is everybody hearing okay? Okay. And of course, it's an odd question to ask. <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> I, uh, I realize that I'm an incredibly horrible planner. Like, I, I plan constantly. And, and last week, during the work week, I would be planning my day. And I thought it would, it would calm down during the weekend, but then I discovered that I would just plan what I would do with my daughter for that day, and then Tuesday morning, Monday was a holiday, Tuesday was the worst because it was the beginning of the work week. And do you have any tips for just not yeah. doing that? Yeah. <laughs> so to be, to be mindful of planning, which is, uh, we would have, probably next week I would have talked more about that. I will talk a little bit about planning because next week the uh, topic is emotions. And uh, one of the uh, kind of... Uh, uh, the, uh, for many, for a good percentage of the time, when people do spend a lot of time planning, what's triggered the planning, what motivates it, is fear, some kind of anxiety. And so, uh, what needs attention is that anxiety. And so, the mindfulness of emotions then would be be mindfulness of, of the emotion of fear, and then learn how to hold that with some care, and find your peace with it, and find some way to settle with it. Then you don't need to plan. But if you're only kind of getting rid of the planning. But the fear is the fear is still there, and then it'll come out in some other way. So I don't know if that's your case, but uh, um, you know you want to look at the underlying emotional roots that are that are fueling the planning. So that's what you might look at. Okay. So for those of you who only coming uh, came today for the first time, uh, this is a five-week course in using our attention to a heightened sense of attention to uh, the experience of being alive in the present moment. Uh, many people are not so much in the present, and so there's something very powerful that happens when we can really learn to train the mind to uh, be present for our lived experience as we're living it. And uh, uh, there's a lot more understanding that can come when we really understand ourselves in some deep way, because the active principles of how we actually operate in the world happen in the present moment. So if we can really settle into the present moment and start seeing the operating system, the beliefs, the assumptions and everything, uh, there's a lot more self-understanding and, and, and uh, good choices that can come from that. Uh, it's also the present moment is a really good place to learn how to be calm, to settle down, to relieve our stress. Because if you can learn to calm down in the present moment, then you learn to calm down with circumstances as they are. If you use uh, a drug to get calm, if you use TV to get calm, if you use distractions to get calm, you can get deeply calm, but you haven't learned how to do it. You learn it by, you know, having some crutch. And you haven't really actually learned how to be settled or calm or peaceful uh, on your own with things as they actually are. So we try to come into the present moment uh, to get these kinds of benefits. The idea of using mindfulness is not so esoteric. It's just paying careful attention, it's noticing what's here, but noticing in a non-reactive, non-judgmental way. Just kind of seeing what's there and not being caught up in it, not being for or against what your experience is. 
It's just, it's just an experience and you're going to try to cultivate attention to that experience. Because the mind is often quite active, we usually begin with the breathing. That's what we talked about last week. And the breath is, for many people, not everyone, but for many people is a good place to settle uh, down on. We bring our attention back to the breath, back to the breath, the mind wanders off, bring it back. And that bringing it back and letting go of our thoughts and starting over again, over and over again, is a way that this thing slowly, the, uh, the mind begins to settle down, get more stable. And then when it's more stable, you have, you're better able to then address and meet mindfulness other things as well. With the goal being that eventually you learn how to be mindful of any experience you have in the present moment, not just the breathing. But the breathing is a, kind of the center that we do. So today, the topic's going to be mindfulness of the body. And um, the body and the breath are considered both you know, part of mindfulness of body. And I like to think of um, the human being as a pyramid where um, the body, the physical aspect of our embodied sense of being, is the base of the pyramid. And in, if you know a pyramid, if you, it's on its base, is very stable. But if you take the pyramid and put it upside down so it's standing on its point, it's not stable at all. It's not going to probably likely stay there very long before it gets tipped over. So our base is our body. The middle layer of the human pyramid is our emotional life. And the top little layer, like the little, you know, eye on the pyramid and the dollar bill, right? Um, The top of it is um, our thinking mind. And our thinking mind maybe is kind of insecure, so it's nice to put it on top. Pride, you know, pride of place. But it's not that important. But we put it up there anyway. But we we want to keep the pyramid... Uh, not upside down. So if you live our life from our thinking, things actually are quite unstable. Uh, And so one of the most stable, restful places to live our life is not to deny the importance of thinking, but but to really be resting in our body, to really feel our body, connect to our body, be grounded in our body, be embodied. It's so important, certainly in Buddhist spirituality, to become embodied that I think of mindfulness sometimes as bodyfulness. Or another way of saying it is that rather than it's mindfulness, it's mindfulness. We take the mind and we fill the body with the mind. It's such an important thing. And so today, it's also more stabilizing and calming to be connected to the body before we go directly into, you know, if you go directly into thinking, people just think more. So today I'm going to talk about mindfulness of the body. We'll do a meditation. And then next week we'll do emotions and the, f- the fourth week we'll do mindfulness of thinking. And I know that thinking is a big part of the experience right now from some of you. Don't worry about it, it's okay. Uh, if you can let go of it or let it recede into the background, that's, that's enough for now. So, but before we talk about mindfulness of the body, I do, I do want to say one little thing about thinking. Uh, and I do this through an analogy that I, many years ago, I was teaching a meditation retreat with some other uh, teachers, Buddhist teachers, and um, some of them were really big-time 49ers fans. And it was in, it was in, uh, uh, in November, and this is back when the 49ers were doing really well. 
And um, so one of the, especially one of the teachers was really excited by this and he really wanted to watch these games during the retreat. So we went to the teacher lounge and everyone else was meditating quietly and the teachers were, <laughs> you know. And, um, and so we were watching. I don't know much about football and, you know, I hadn't seen much before, but, but I was watching. And, and uh, so then uh, there was a commercial. And what uh, reasonable people do, I think, is they hit the mute button for the commercial. So we did, and we talked, and then the football game came back on again, and the teacher who had the mute button didn't unmute the television. But we stopped talking, and we started watching the football game without any sound. And I thought, well, he's a mindfulness teacher. I'm sure he's mindful aware that there's no sound. So I thought, so my approach, which is kind of the mindful approach, is rather than kind of, you know, you know nudging him or knocking him over and say, hey, <laughs> I, I got curious. So the kind of default in mindfulness is get curious what's going on. So I got curious, what is this like? So I watched the, 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 the television, uh, football game, without any sound, and I can kind of follow, like, enough, you know, these guys stand up, they fall down. <laughs> One person kind of breaks free, he's running down the field, he crosses these lines in the field, it's kind of, you feel good for him, it's nice. <laughs> and then someone comes from, off from left side and tackles him, and that's too bad. But then, in, um, when, uh, when, then after a while, the, the sound did come on, and I was struck by the difference. And when the sound was on, the main difference was there was a commentator. And the commentator's probably job is to get the audience involved. And his excitement, it wasn't just guy crossing the, li- the, the lines in the field, like, that's good for him, happy for him. It was like I was on the edge of my seat, wanted to stand up, you know, oh God, it's... You know, it's the end of the world. It's like, oh no, you know. It's like, oh, whatever, you know. You know, the commentator like was so excited, and I, my whole experience of the game then changed, and my experience of the game was mediated through the excitement of the media, of the commentator. The game and the commentary were two different things, but in my mind, I tended to conflate them and not see them as separate. So the same thing happens with us. We have, comment- we have a commentator in there. He doesn't get paid much. That goes on incessantly. And sometimes commentating of everything. And if we can, in meditating, we can, if we're lucky enough, we're commentating about the meditation. If, you know, if not, it's di- you know, dinner or yesterday or something. And, but it's a commentary. And what's, what happens when we make a lot of commentary about our experience is that we then confuse the experience and the commentary. They get conflated. And uh, the mood of the commentary affects the way we experience what's happening. It's like the mood music. It's a beautiful, idyllic kind of forest scene. And it's kind of inspiring until you hear the, you know, the scary music. Your hair stands on end, because, an edge, because, oh, no. You know, it's just a forest scene, you know. It's probably a... But the music, you know, you associate. So, so we have this mood music, we have this commentary we add. And so the idea is, in meditation is to, best we can, you maybe you can't stop the commentary, but you want to not be, be confusing the two together. And you want to be able to start separating out the thoughts, the commentary you have, from the direct experience you're having. So in terms of today, we're going to do mindfulness of the body, you're going to have uh, experiences in your body 
Some maybe are comfortable, some uncomfortable. You'll have spent some time focusing on your breath. And the idea is to just stay with the direct experience more than staying with the commentary. The commentary might be things like, um, he expects me to stay with my breath. I can do half a breath. And I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. This is rather embarrassing. I hope he doesn't ask me how I did. Those are all, that's commentary. The experience is just breathing. Or you're sitting following your, you're sitting with your body and, and you have all these judgments about your body and, oh no, you know, my body, I wish, you know, I was distracted from my body and it's bad news. And so, and then we're kind of involved in all the commentary about the body. Uh, uh, if you separate those two out and let the commentary, and don't, don't necessarily believe the commentary, get involved in it, it's a much more relaxing life. And probably a good percentage of your commentary is not particularly wise or useful anyway. So to learn to separate it out provides a lot of freedom. And so one of the ways that helps us to separate it out is to keep coming back to the immediacy of our physical experience. And just be content, just this. Just to feel this right now. And then when you start having commentary, I can't do this. Say, oh, that's commentary. I can't do this commentary. And then come back to this. Make sense? Okay. So um, we'll do. So what I'm going to the instructions I'll give on the body uh, uh, will come over time. But I do it through an exercise uh, in meditation, kind of. So you've been sitting for half an hour. If you want to stand for a minute and stretch, kind of be fresh in your legs and stuff, please do. There is some more space in here. If some of the people in the outer hall want to come in, you're welcome to chair in here if you want. Okay. So, so I mentioned the idea of bodyfulness or mind-filledness, kind of filling the, the, you know, taking the, filling uh, your body with the mind, with awareness. So what I'd like to do is uh, start the meditation with a little exercise. Well, start by doing the usual uh, setup, the usual starting procedure that I did last week. And once we kind of got through the kind of starting procedure, I'm going to do a little exercise with you um, that's very simple that hopefully will give you a sense of what it's like to be mindful of the body, to be in the body, to really feel it. And then I'll I'll bring it uh, back to your breathing to feel it that way. And then uh, other parts of your physical experience as part of this. So just kind of follow along. So taking a comfortable upright meditation posture. And if you're tired, the upright part is useful. 
if you're agitated, a relaxed posture is useful. And gently close your eyes. And then it's useful when you begin to take a few long, slow, deep breaths. The deep in-breaths are a way of connecting to your body, feeling your body from the inside. And then if you breathe a little more fully than usual, as you exhale, relax and settle into your body. breathing return to normal and we don't when we, in this kind of meditation we don't make any special effort to breathe in a yogic way or special way just whatever way you happen to breathe in an ordinary way is fine and then scan through your body to see if there's any obvious places in your body that you can relax Some people can relax their muscles of their face, soften around the jaws, the cheeks. Softening the muscles around the nasal passages, the sinuses. Softening around the eyes, letting the eyes rest in the sockets. Letting go of needing to look and see with the eyes. Perhaps softening around the shoulders and shoulder blades. Maybe as you exhale, relax. It can be useful to soften the belly, which might mean that your belly hangs forward, down. And if you, it doesn't relax, it's fine not to have a relaxed belly. Just let it be. So here you are. And the idea of being mindful of the present is to always keep it simple. It's a simple experience of being here in your body at this time. Maybe already now <clears throat> you can maybe separate out any commentary you have of what's going on from the actual experience of being in your body, being connected to your body. 
And then, in a simple way, bring your attention into your right hand. And start feeling the sensations of your right hand. Feeling the sensations on the back of the hand. the palm of the hand, the fingers, there might be the sensations of temperature, warmth and coolness, there might be tingling and vibration, sensations of contact or pressure, the hands touching each other, the hands touching the thighs. See if you can fill your hand with awareness so you feel the range of sensations. Whatever is happening there, notice how with this kind of exercise, you're probably much more aware of the sensations of your hand than if your attention was not there. And perhaps, hopefully the experience of the hand is relatively neutral. And so it's very simple to be with it, not for it or against it just to feel the experience of hand. So then, switch your attention now to become aware of the place in your body where you most feel your breathing. Maybe you feel the chest move, or the belly move, diaphragm, or the sensation of air going in and out through the nostrils or down the throat. Wherever you feel the breathing, let your attention kind of fill that area and start becoming aware of the various sensations that might be there. Letting those sensations reveal themselves. Sensations of movement, tingling, vibration. And as it's connected to breathing, you might feel the rhythm, the pulse of breathing, changing sensations Follow the rhythm of in and out. And there might be commentary. And rather than living in the commentary, 
live in the sensations of breathing, the experience of breathing. Let that sensations of breathing be in the forefront of where your attention goes and your interest goes. Letting go of your thoughts the best you can so you can better feel the body breathing. Or if it's helpful, you can very gently in your mind say in as you breathe in and out as you breathe out. To help you stay there with breathing. Noticing if you're thinking, perhaps letting go of it or letting it recede and letting breathing, the body breathing enter into the forefront of attention. you could now let your attention move from the breathing and bring your attention to that part of your body where you have the strongest physical sensation. And then feel Feel the strongest sensation in that part of your body. So,
it's too it's too loud so let's see sorry everyone okay so we have trouble with the speaker system so in the middle of the meditation so okay so let's get back on track let's go back to the breathing Breathing in and breathing out with what is. So now if you can bring your attention to the strongest sensation in your body, wherever that might be, pleasant or unpleasant, and feel it just the same way in which you feel, um, felt the hand. And see if you can feel it without any judgment, commentary, as if it's okay for it to be there. As if you're curious to know that experience in that part of your body. Feel it, be with it. And then if the stronger sensation of your body goes away, bring your attention to the next strongest and see if without any commentary, just to allow it to be there and feel it, be mindful of it, a sense of discovery, this is what it's like. And now bring your attention back to that part of your body where you experience breathing and feel your breathing. Feel the body breathing, the movement, the sense of pressure and expansion, release of pressure.
And then in the last minute or two, give some care to notice if you're involved in commentary and story and thoughts more than you're with your experience of your body breathing. And if you are, can you shift the focus so that you're more with your direct, simple, physical experience of breathing or your experience of your body than you are with your thinking. And to end this sitting, take a few long, slow, deep breaths and feel your body. Feel your body against the chair or the floor, your cushion. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So um, imagine a spider's web and a spider lives in the middle of the web. And then something else happens on the web. Some insect lands on the web. And the spider leaves the center of the web and goes, attends to that thing that happened there. Eats it maybe. And, uh, And then it goes back to the center and sits there some more. So in mindfulness meditation, we live in the web of our life and we have the breathing at the center. But if something else happens elsewhere on our web of experience, then we contentedly leave the breath, leave the focus on breathing, and we bring our attention to that other thing that's going on. And, um, and we attend to it. The, uh, how the analogy doesn't quite work is that the center of the web stays always the center of the web, or the, the spider web. But uh, the center of our web is always where our, our attention is. So if we leave the breath, it isn't like we left the center. We bring it with us to that other experience. 
So as we're meditating, sooner or later, there'll be sensations in the body that become predominant. They become more compelling. It becomes a little bit hard to stay with the breath because these physical sensations begin speaking up. And uh, if the focus is only to stay on the breath, then those sensations could be considered a distraction. They're making it hard for me to stay with my breath. I wish they weren't there. In mindfulness meditation, we don't, we're not worried about trying to only stay with the breath. If something else is happening in that web, we contentedly leave the breath and bring our attention to that thing. And that becomes the center of where we cultivate our, our awareness. And so that way, these things, nothing's a distraction. It's just something else to pay attention to. So if you're meditating and your neighbor's dog starts barking, uh, you could think, oh no, it's disturbing my meditation. I can't stay with my practice. You don't need to think that way. Rather, the barking becomes the meditation. And you just bring your attention and, and do listening meditation and hear that as long as it's compelling. If, next week we'll talk about emotions. If emotions become strong, then uh, the compelling thing in the present moment, we bring our attention to the emotion. If it's thinking, in a couple of weeks, not yet, we'll, we'll bring our attention to thinking in a particular way. So for today, the topic is bringing attention to your body. So in that meditation, at some point, I asked you to bring your attention to your body, to the strongest sensations of your body. What happened to some of you when you did that? Some of you gave a little report. Hello. So um, I became aware that um, first of all, as, as the main, the main, uh, the highest point of sensation, I was surprised that uh, uh, you know sitting on on my rear end, which usually I don't pay attention to, I was like, oh, okay, that's the biggest one. Yeah. But the thing is that I also realized all the places I was itching, mm-hmm. and then I was wondering, do I scratch or do I not? So that was. <laughs> So like, so I was wondering like if it's, that's a bad thing of like you know um, to to have, to give in you know. But from what you just said, I guess I should just you know scratch at my arm, arm and then get, get back back on with. Uh, you could do focus, that. Right? Or no one's died from an itch, so you, 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 you could you could just bring and feel the itch, and uh, and in uh, places like Thailand, one of the great you know you know un, unappreciated meditation practices is the mosquito meditation. <laughs> you hear the buzz, you feel the little wings against your skin or something walking around, and then, you, you, you know, and you, you, don't hear, you don't feel anything for a while, you know what that means. And then, bzz, you hear them go away. And if you're just right there, you get, you get so concentrated. You know, but if you kind of bat it away or get upset or restless or worry about malaria... <laughs> then, um, you know, it's hard to get concentrated. But if you're just, just right there for the experience, so, you know. Thank you. Someone else here. Yes, so um, when that sensation becomes intense, typically it's been pain for me. And at one point you said, um, focus on that sensation, whether it's positive or negative or something like that. I remember hearing 
positive and it really kind of caught me by surprise. Um, so I'm curious if anyone has felt something positive because every if any, time... Any, if anyone what? If anyone has felt something positive... I'm missing a word. Anybody? Felt something positive. Oh, felt. Yes, felt, yes. Yes, because my experience when I concentrate on something that comes up in my body, yeah. it's always negative and pain. Um, and, you know, when you said that tonight, it was like, oh... You can notice something positive in your body. Um, I don't have that experience because I have an illness, but I'm curious if other people have felt yeah. something positive. How about you, Wendy? Do you experience anything pleasant in your body? Never? I have a lot of pain. Yeah, I know, but what about pleasant? Um, yeah, in the back of my head. So why don't you talk about the pleasant that you're aware of? Um, during, I, had some, I have a lot of back pain and... I ex- um, so I brought my attention to the back of my head where there wasn't any pain, like right here. There wasn't any pain, so I just sort of um, used that as the point of the body uh-huh. and then watched my thoughts. And, uh-huh. and it kind of distracted me from, from the pain. where it was painful. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, so there's two different ways of working with the pain. One is to bring our attention to it. That's the usual way. Really feel the pain if that's what's predominant. But sometimes when it's chronic and very difficult, the wisest thing to do is to avoid it. And so, uh, and so to find something that's pleasant in the body to pay attention to. And if you are, uh, if all your experience is mostly in body is unpleasant or painful, uh, it might be really nice to spend some time looking for the pleasant. And uh, like right now you're smiling. And so probably there's a yeah yeah so and um, and so you might there might be much more pleasant than you're aware of because because of various conditioning some people's minds gravitate towards the painful maybe because they're afraid because they have good reason to because they have some chronic condition um, or a habit or all kinds of things uh, but to fill out the picture sometimes you have to feel the pleasant um, some people are constantly avoiding the unpleasant. And to fill out the picture, they need to kind of move into it and really feel that. <coughs> when, the, when this practice gets mature, the guideline for what we pay attention to is to pay attention to whatever is predominant. It's whatever is strongest. But it's best if, you're, if, you, if you... best That works best if you don't have a lot of preferences already or habits. Mm-hmm. But so if you have... A, uh, so if it's unpleasant and that's predominant, we bring a careful, relaxed attention to that. And if it's pleasant, we bring a careful and relaxed attention to the pleasant. And both of those can be challenging for different reasons. For the unpleasant, what's challenging is aversion and fear and all these things. And so we have to learn how to find our way out of the aversion and fear so we can be there in a relaxed way with it. With the pleasant, uh, the challenge is our preference for it. Our attachments for it. Ah, this is, you know, our, we build ourselves up. Oh, this is it, you know. Enlightenment tomorrow, I'm sure. And, um, and so, to how, again, to be really simple with it and just hold it in awareness. So I'd be curious to find out next week, you know, if uh, you explore your pleasant, what you find. Thank you. Someone else over here. Diana's coming with the mic. Uh, I'm kind of curious as to whether or not other people experience this when I heard the direction to focus on 
whatever the biggest, strongest feeling in my body was, it all of a sudden, you know, I was thinking, oh, it, of course it'll be my foot which is cramping, but then all of a sudden it would just constantly dart across my body, and one second it'd be, oh, there's a twinge in my hip, the next it's, uh-huh. oh, there's you know, a tingling in my shoulders, or, or whatever it would be, yeah. and focusing on one thing for an extended period of time became very difficult. Great, that's okay. So sometimes it does uh, jump around like that. So then your job is just be very relaxed about following it along. Like mm-hmm. I talked about the ping pong balls bouncing around. Just kind of follow it. Just kind of, just, you know. The body has its own wisdom for what it shows itself. Mm-hmm. And it's often not what we think it's supposed to be. So I would just kind of be relaxed about that. Yes. Yeah, I have uh, tinnitus, which is a ringing in the ear. Uh-huh. Me too. So uh, when my brain gets quiet, that's when I hear it the most. Right. So, uh, so I have the same thing. You know, it's, yeah. it's uh, and I've come to, um, in a way, there's nothing I can really do about it. I've, right. You know, um, so what I do is I find myself moving my head in different ways and, and find the exact feeling. I find the pitch changes, uh-huh. you know, I uh, can feel the, like the the heartbeat going through it and, and feeling how my ear feels, you know, and it's like, you know, it was very frustrating for a long time, yeah. you know, and it, in a way I found it hampered meditation because, like I said, is, is when I'm thinking, it doesn't bother me. Or when I'm talking or, you know, uh, when I'm focused on a task or whatever, it's right. just, <clears throat> it seems to be uh, the most prevalent when I meditate, which is okay. I, right. I'm, I'm, you know, I've become yeah. accustomed to it. Yeah. It sounds like you have to. So, so uh, p- uh, some people who meditate do have this ringing in their ears. And um, one of the things, uh, this will make more sense in the next couple of weeks, but one of the things we want to learn is um, not, it doesn't necessarily go away. We can learn to be relaxed about it. But we're not relaxed if we feel that, oh, this is terrible, this is wrong, this has been pleasant, this will be there forever. We have all this commentary and ideas. And so to learn to tease apart the commentary, the ideas, the fears we have, and be really simple with it is a powerful gift. It's a powerful thing to do. Find your freedom in that. So that's part of what we're trying to do is to tease these things apart so it just stays with the simplicity of it. So some people, it's very worthwhile that uh, the, that kind of ringing can be kind of like a great teacher because you learn to be simpler and more relaxed. Uh, another another approach, which uh, is uh, it's one of the few experiences in meditation that it's very common for teachers to say, just ignore it if you can, and uh, and rather you know just uh, rather than when it rings strongly, just go give your more attention to the breath, develop more concentration in the breath. And sometimes you just kind of, if you give yourself over to something else, it just recedes. It doesn't go away. It just recedes. And you just hope no one reminds you. <laughs> the other day, someone told me about their ringing in their ears. And I said, oh, why'd you tell me? <laughs> Mine came back, you know. So, yes. Um, something I was very aware about that was really pleasant for me is when I, all my life I've been a slumper in chairs every, wherever I've been. And when I first started coming here, I sat on the chair. I wouldn't even dream of sitting on the floor. And now I, re- I really feel a great pleasure in sitting up straight like this. I mean, I feel, it just feels so good. Great. And um, I did have the itching and all that. But the weirdest thing that happened was suddenly my, at the very end, my father appeared like right there. And he was dressed in a more formal it's, uh, everyday attire than his jeans and stuff. 
And um, he was smiling, and that was it. He died 12 years ago. And I wasn't in the least bit, I wasn't thinking about him at all in a while. It was, it was strange. No, it's not so strange. They, um, uh, who knows why, but what happens as people, you can just put it on the floor for now. Um, uh, as we get calm, it's like the surface lid, surface chatter of the mind quiets down. And some of the deeper things that are there have a chance to surface that don't have a chance to surface when they're, you know, always covered over by a lot of chatter and thoughts and fears and planning and all this stuff. And some of the stuff, uh, are unresolved issues will come up. So if the unresolved issues come up, don't be surprised. It's okay. It's almost designed for that so you can work through them, resolve them. Uh, uh, so, uh, so there are sometimes... Um, uh, memories will come. Sometimes, sometimes when people start meditating, the first few months or some period, a lot of memories will start coming back. And, uh, and oh no, I'm doing it wrong. I'm not supposed to think about the past. I'm supposed to be in the present. But that's part of that kind of deeper part of the mind showing itself. And the trick in meditation is to let it come up and then let go of it. Don't get involved. Go back to the breath. Just be content it came up and go back to the breath. Don't get involved. Um, and some of the, sometimes the memories are not so pleasant, sometimes they're very pleasant that, uh, you know, that we've long forgotten. And then uh, sometimes certain people who are deeply imprinted in our lives and important for us are buried there in the deeper mind, sometimes will pop up. I had my grandmother just explode in front of me when I was in Burma. It was like, it couldn't be more realistic. The, the face appeared and boom. And I thought, wow, what was that? And I thought, something most important must have happened. She must have died. Nope. <laughs> you know, I was ready to make some big story about it. So it's, they keep it really simple, these kinds of things. Don't get involved, don't make stories. Just. Did anybody have the experience of a strong sensation that you noticed, you brought your attention to it, and it went away? A number of you did? You, mm-hmm. Did some of you find that you had a strong sensation, you brought attention to it, and it got stronger? Anybody bring, uh, have a strong sensation, you brought attention to it, and it stayed the same? Those are the three options. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> and uh, so there's something profound about hearing this. Those are the three options. Because we often have a preference. I want it to go away. Or something. Or if it's pleasant, I want to get it stronger. Uh, your job as a mindfulness meditator is just to go along for the ride and just be mindful, be know how it, what happens as you're present for it. If it, gets, if it goes away, just let it go away and follow it. If it gets stronger, just stay and watch it get stronger. If it stays the same, just be content, let it be. And then as you do that, what you'll probably discover is a lot of attitudes and judgments and ideas will come in. Um, and all, that's all commentary. It's okay to do it, but what happens is we take up residence in the commentary. We get involved, we stay there in all that reactivity and judgments. And there's, there's very little freedom in there. That's why we tend to be claustrophobic in our lives. And so if we can tease this apart and learn to just stay with the simplicity of the experience. If it gets stronger, just stay with it. Don't get alarmed if it's unpleasant. Just hold it and be with it. And one of the reasons why we do this in meditation, in mindfulness, 
is that uh, uh, our body, you know, at the bottom of the pyramid, the body is really has a lot of intelligence. Our body is, uh, is not just a, phys- a physical lump of stuff. The body has tremendous, you know, nerves and organs of perceptions that pick things up and muscles that react to every little thing that goes on. And the body is an intimate part of who we are and it kind of has a wisdom and an understanding of its own. And the body will, uh, sometimes it's wiser than our minds, than our conscious minds. And what needs to be processed in our lives often gets processed through our body. So if we can just be relaxed and offer a careful attention to what's going on in our body without any judgment or reactivity, just, it's okay, it's okay. And in fact, that's one of the great meditation mantras. Whatever happens, it's okay. It's okay. Just stay with it. It's okay. It's okay. And, and that's very different than how most people's minds operate. Most people's minds, things are not okay. Things should be different. They should be better. They should be, I should get rid of this. Uh, I need to show this to everyone else. I need to hide this from everybody else. I, you know, all this reaction, ideas about it. <clears throat> Just, it's okay. <clears throat> and then, if, you, if the mind operates in this it's okay attitude, it it's, can be dramatic what begins to shift in the mind. Because it's not business as usual. If you begin kind of stepping away from fixing and wanting and doing and planning and doing all the other stuff. And there's a, there's a beautiful thing that begins to happen. Does so anybody else want to say something about what that meditation was like? Please, right behind you, Susan. So, um, one other question I had, like, when we do the meditation, we try to relax ourselves, uh, relax the body, and uh, eventually, I don't know if somebody experienced, but we, uh, at least I felt like getting into the sleep uh, and then suddenly, okay, bring my attention back to the meditation. So, yeah. um, is it normal or? But I, I missed part of it. So you, you said you, you're trying to relax. Yeah. And then what happened? Um, the mind tend to get in the sleepy state, like you. Oh, sleepy did. state. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, and when you first sit down to meditate it's good to relax a little bit for a couple of minutes. But after those first couple of minutes, it's best not to keep trying to relax more. <laughs> because you can put yourself to sleep if all you do is relax. And, um, and some people have a very strong association that meditation is supposed to be only relaxing. And, and then we just kind of you know, drift off. Uh, what, we want, what we're looking for is a, is a balance between being alert and relaxed. And so that balance we want to have. So after the first couple of minutes, generally we don't want to spend a lot of time relaxing anymore, but just kind of be present, be alert, and be present for what actually is. Even that way, sometimes things be like, oh, we get quieter, we get calmer. And uh, it's fairly common to start falling asleep. And there's a number of reasons why people get sleepy in meditation. So, I, you know, I don't know for you how it is, but I'm going to go through some of the possibilities. One is that uh, more Americans, more people in this country need to sleep than they need to meditate. We're a sleep-deprived country. 
And I think it's in terms of the ba- living a balanced life, I think getting s- more sleep is often good for people. And it's just a sign that we need more sleep when we start falling asleep in meditation. The other is that, um, that um, we start uh, sometimes falling asleep because of the level of stress we're under. We might be getting enough ordinary sleep, but there's tremendous stress that's really exhausting us. Um, and so that exhaustion of the stress, uh, we kind of collapse and start falling asleep. Another reason is that uh, sometimes, uh, if you've seen the experience of babies, small babies, if they get overstimulated by too much sound and stuff in the environment, they'll go asleep. And it's a kind of way of protecting themselves. And as adults, this, that happens as well. Well, sometimes when strong memories that we've been, you know, been repressed come up, or strong emotions that are difficult come up, strong self-understanding comes up, and it's too much for us to handle. Uh, sometimes we'll fall asleep as a way of not having to deal with it. That's not a bad thing. There's a kind of wisdom that knows I'm not ready for it yet. But you don't. You, you want. You want to continue meditating the best you can. And if you fall asleep for that reason, just take your time. It's all okay. Those are three reasons. The most common, one of the most common reasons of falling asleep in meditation is becoming too calm and not having the right balance between alertness and calm. And so what you want to do then is to bring in more alertness. And um, one of the ways to bring in more alertness is to sit up straighter. Another way is to open your eyes because if the light comes into your eyes, sometimes when your eyes are open, it's more difficult to fall asleep. And then continue your meditation with your eyes open usually 45, looking at the floor in 45 degrees. Um, and um, those, you know, sometimes what we do is we bring in more a mental alertness by um, just kind of be, getting clear about recognizing what's happening in the present moment, really seeing in some precision what's happening with your breath, what's going on now, kind of wake up the mind. Make some sense, those things? Body was went into very yeah. calm yeah. state, and then I wasn't alert, so that balance yes. was not. There. Yes, so then bring in that balance. Okay, so so in your meditation, you can stay with your breathing. Your breath is a great subject if that works for you. And then, um, uh, but if something else becomes more compelling in your body, your physical experience. It could be pleasant or unpleasant, doesn't matter, but it's more compelling. What compelling means is that it's hard to stay with the breath because there's a tension, you know, something else is calling your attention. Then you can just let go of your breath entirely. And then experiment. I like the word experiment a lot because it means you don't have to do it right. It also means you're trying to find your way with it, trying to discover, how do I do this? But experiment with bringing your attention as close and fully you can to that strong, compelling sensation in your body and just al- and allow it to be there and just be curious. Just curious and hold it with attention. Sometimes it's helpful to use that little mental note to keep you there. It's kind of like an anchor that keeps you there. So if it's, if it's an itch, just say itch. Itch. If it's, uh, uh, you know, some strong sense of tension, just say Tension. Tension. Just stay there. It's kind of another way of saying, stay there, be there with it, feel it. And for me, an image that I love for this kind of thing, uh, which uh, is to cup my hands together, like I'm holding water or something, or holding a little baby bird or something gently in my hand, and come from underneath and just hold things with my awareness. So to imagine that my awareness, my attention can come to the strong sensation in my body and just hold it from underneath 
and, and support it and hold it. So you're not trying to fix it or make it go away or, or push it away or pull away from it. Just experimenting and learning. How can it just be there and allow it to be there? And then once it's there, just get curious. What happens to it? What goes on? What is it? What are the sensations? And what happens to it? Does it get bigger, smaller? Does it get stronger and weaker? Does it go away? Does it, does it morph into something else? When it's no longer compelling, then go back to your breathing. So no, that expression, no longer compelling, means it can still be there, but it no longer, ha- no longer tugs on your awareness. It no longer demands attention. And then you can go back to your breathing and that might just recede to the background, that sensation in your body. It could also be the same thing with sound. If strong sounds arise, then if it's more compelling than your breathing, then just let go of your breath and take in, do a listening meditation for however long it's strong. However, when it's no longer compelling, you can come back to your breathing. If the neighbor's dog barking really upsets you and you're ready to go knock on your neighbor's door, don't. Just sit there and be present for the experience of you know, your irritation. And hold that. Cup, bring your hands together and cup the irritation. We'll talk about emotions next week. Just try to, and it's okay. That's like the mantra for meditation. It's okay. And you're only going to do it for your 20 minutes, right? It's not like the end of the world. Then you can knock on the door. <laughs> but, you know, just, it's okay. And same thing with pain. Um, if, you haven't, if you haven't experienced this, tried this before, um, we have, we're such, uh, many of us have uh, creatures of habit around pain where we have very strong policies of what to do with pain. We have to get rid of it. We have to fix it. We have to take an aspirin. We have to, um, this is terrible. I have, to not, I have to not experience it. A friend of mine who was teaching this kind of practice, um, there was a very um, tough, big former police officer who was taking the class because he had uh, back pain. And uh, he got the instructions to go feel your pain. And he got really angry because I'm here to not feel it. But, uh, but to, if you never had the, never done that, this careful kind of, I like the word loving, careful, tender awareness, just hold your experience pain. Allow it to be there. You might discover it's something very different, that pain is very different than you thought what it was. And remember, we was separate out our thoughts from the experience. And it's often our thinking makes things much different than they are. And if you just kind of feel it and be with it, what happens to you? And uh, not a few meditators find out that their pain stops being pain, but turns into something a little different, uh, maybe still intense, but something that's much more manageable to be with than if they're not thinking about it a lot and holding that way. So if you feel like that's okay for you and feels like it's uh, you know, not going to be too taxing, uh, even if you feel pain in meditation, experiment. Remember the word is experiment. Experiment. What, what would it be like to hold the pain within a relaxed way? Hold it with some ease. Just kind of, how close can you get? How can you hold it? Cup underneath it, your hands underneath it. Just be with it. And you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to stay there longer than you want. You know, you don't have, you don't have to be, you're not trapped with the pain. You can always change your posture. You can always go, you know, get up if you want to. But the idea is to experiment and see, can you find a new way of being with it, another way? Can you do, be with uh, whatever's going on in such a way that your mind gets quieter rather than more agitated? 
So can you stay with you doing breath meditation? Can you be with your breathing so the mind gets quieter, stiller? Can you be with a strong sensation in your body? So you're really there respecting the sensations present for it and so the mind gets quieter. <clears throat> so the instructions for this week is to continue with the meditation on the breathing. But if a strong sensation in the body or a sound occurs, make that the meditation. And if there's a lot of thoughts or a lot of emotions, just let them kind of put them aside for now and we'll bring those up in the next few weeks. And the idea is the more you can become familiar with your physical experience, be in your body, grounded in your body, um, the easier it's going to be to learn how to do mindfulness of emotions for next week. So that also means that uh, on this uh, blue handout, there are some, there's, you know, some instructions for mindfulness of the body here you can read. <clears throat> and then also in the back, there's some exercises you can do at home if you'd like. And um, the, um, one of them is to, is to eat mindfully. If you can, I don't know if it works with your social life, but maybe once during this week, uh, choose a meal to eat in silence. <clears throat> Make sure that, that your devices are off, no TV, no radio, whatever thing. And, and just try to see what it's like to be fully present for the physical experience of eating. And the mind wanders off, come back, just eat, the simplicity of eating. And try to, kind of, try to kind of feel all the sensations involved in your body, involved with eating, the chewing, the swallowing. See if you can be there and, and catch the moment of satiation when you've had enough to eat. Because if you don't notice that, you might keep eating. So just kind of be, it's a great thing to do. Um, and there's a, other exercises here, suggestions here of ways you can do, kind of be more in your body. Um, um, so you might want to read this and try some of these out, and, uh, but also the meditation practice. Um, and also, uh, for those of you who don't know, there's this book that we, we hand out here that's essays on mindfulness practice called The Issue at Hand. And there's uh, some articles here about um, little chapters about this meditation practice we do here, including one on mindfulness of the body. So you're welcome to take them. We offer them freely. They're by the door in different places. And um, that's what I have so far. So any questions before we end? Questions about the instructions, what I've said? Yes, please. Wait for the mic. Wait, wait, Wait for the mic. I was just curious about music and meditation. Yes. And what your thoughts are about if you're listening to some kind of peaceful music yeah. or... Great. Yeah, some people find a lot of benefit from listening to music while they meditate. It's very soothing and relaxing. So if your primary thing you want to do is be soothed, maybe music is a good way. But, uh, but when we do mindfulness meditation, uh, we don't want to soothe ourselves. It's like adding something extra. Usually there's preferences and... and uh, all kinds of things involved. What we're trying to do is to learn how to cultivate a strong sense of heightened attention that helps us find a life that's uh, more at ease and free with what is. And if we're relying on something like music to soothe ourselves, then we're relying on something outside of ourselves. And what we're trying to do is to discover from the inside out how to be peaceful. So it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, if you have ten shoulders... You can get a really good massage and the shoulders can relax. 
but you haven't discovered why you're tense in the first place. And by when you, when you do this path of mindfulness, you're trying to, from the inside out, try to be more and more attentive in this heightened way to what's actually going on so that you don't need any more massages because you know how to do it from the inside out. So, so I would recommend during this course, to, following what I'm, the instructions here, don't listen to music because we want it to rely on ourselves. Other questions? Yes, please. So we can move the place for the mic. It's coming. It's coming up here to your right. Do you think there's any, any difference between doing meditation by yourself and doing it with a group, other than the fact that everyone, everyone's uh, being quiet? Yes, um, any difference yeah. between doing it self and with a group? Uh, that's a very individual thing. Different people have different experiences with that. Some people find that when they sit in a group, they get uh, so much more, it's easier to get gathered, it's easier to kind of be on track and stay, and people get, you know, find it very supportive to be in a group. They get quieter and stiller. Some people, uh, because maybe they're just, you know, wired differently, find that the opposite. They find that when they're sitting with other people, they get more restless. It's like all this activity around them. And they find it's better to meditate alone. So, you know, different people find different things are useful. And, um, and so knowing what kind of person you are, and then if it's better to be alone, do it alone. If it's better to do it with a group, do it with a group. Or anything else? So body fullness. Your body is great. And... Um, You'll be, the uh, Buddhist spirituality uh, puts a tremendous importance on being embodied, being present here in your body. And uh, there's so, many, so much uh, blessing, so much benefit that comes from being connected to your body, resting and living in your body. So this week, that's the instructions. Explore your body, be in your body. Look for opportunities to notice you have a body and enjoy it. And, uh, and then exper- a lot of experimentation with this practice. And you can also experiment with that great mantra. I think of it as America's great gift to the spiritual world. It's okay. (laughs) So thank you all.